0: that last verse, that's the sermon. We can just go home. We're not going to, but we could. Thank you, Susan. It was a joke. Okay, so we're going to read just two verses. I had to confirm with the folks in the tech booth, they're like, only two verses today? (laughs) Right, because these are heavy, these are dripping with meaning, and so it's going to take us a while to get through them. So uh, I love this passage. Titus chapter 2. We're going to read verses 11 and 12, which is really not even fair because it's like half a paragraph. You're not even getting the context, but here we go. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, everybody say it with me, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Thank you. You may be seated. Today we start a new sermon series called Calling. Uh, We uh, back in the day, uh, I'm 49 years old, I've been in church my entire life. Uh, back in the day, and especially when I was first uh, came to, to uh, faith in Christ, which was 1994, uh, we used to talk a lot about calling in the church. Uh, somewhere along the way, we stopped talking about that so much, but the idea is that God has placed callings on our lives. Uh, we use phrases like called to ministry, right, which generally means you feel like you're called to some kind of vocational ministry, like you're going to earn a living from it or you're going to earn a partial living from it. Uh, But it's a lot more than that. Really, the idea that God has called us to something, and I want you to think about it this way for just a second, because maybe you haven't thought about the fact that God has called specifically you to something, so for just a second, hit pause on that, and I want to ask you about this. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus actually has a mission, that he is on mission uh, in his... we like to say the church has a mission, but actually, I think a better way to say it is that Jesus' mission has a church. Like, he is in the, he is in the process, he is in the midst of doing something, he's on a mission, and he actually is calling you to join him in that mission. But he's—it's not that he's going to use you as a tool to accomplish something, to accomplish his mission. Along the way, he's going to interact with you. He's going to have a relationship with you. You're going to grow in, in familiarity and, and love for him, and you're going to continue to become the person that he is calling you to be. Jesus has a mission. Uh, there's a purpose. And so, along the way, if he has a mission and we're joining him on that mission, then we really would, be, we would do well to take the time to sit down and think through uh, what is the mission that he's on and what is the mission specifically that he's calling us to. Like, what's the purpose? Why are we doing this? I was reminded, in fact, I I talked to my wife, who I I don't know if all of you know this. So my wife is our children's minister. She's in the back with the kids most weeks. And so I told her she would get a kick out of this story because we laugh about it all the time. Uh, I dated a girl before I met her when I was in college. I dated a girl who uh, was from Minnesota. And there's nothing wrong with being from Minnesota, but I was raised in the South, and it was just a lot different. And I didn't think about it until I was dating this girl, she wanted to meet my parents, so we all met up for dinner at this very southern restaurant, okay, it was a buffet, there were fried things on it, right, and it looked like this old farmhouse, well, I mean, we didn't think anything about it, she liked it, right, so we sit and we have dinner, and uh, she was a really nice girl, okay, and I hope she's not watching this, I don't think she is, (laughs) really nice girl, Uh, great family her dad was one of my Bible professors so you know no pressure right gotta get it right so we have dinner and we walk out of the restaurant and when we walked out of the restaurant this southern style house it looked like a farmhouse it had a porch and there were rocking chairs on it right you ever eaten at the Cracker Barrel that's a really poor imitation of what this was okay (laughs) But that's the type of restaurant that it was. So we walk out from dinner, and we didn't think anything about it. We just walked over and sat in the rocking chairs and just sat there. And she followed over. We didn't say anything. We just sat down and started rocking. And after a little while, and I I promise I'm not making this up. This is what makes my wife laugh when I tell her this story. We're rocking, and after a little while, she leans over to me and says, What are we doing? (laughs) And I knew right then she was not the one for me. (laughs) I kid you not. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I didn't even know that was a test, but you failed it right there. (laughs) We're rocking. Listen, when you're on the front porch rocking with no rhyme or reason, that's fine. But it's actually a great question to ask. And we should ask it often. Like, what are we doing? Is there a goal? Is there a purpose to attending church and serving when they ask me to serve and reading my Bible and praying and, you know, going to community group and going to Capital City Academy on Wednesday nights? Like, I'm doing all the stuff they're asking me to do. What's the purpose? Well, we've said from the beginning by design I, I i get asked often uh when did capital city church start and i have to say this like we actually are, launched our public services in august of 2020. you know there was this little thing called covid going on and we thought it'd be a great time to plant a church no august of 2020 but actually this all started way back in january of that year and so we prayed through and talked through and and and, and really talked about a lot of these things and so we just decided early on we want to be be a church where we help people love jesus and live for him every day like that's why we exist and i want you to look me right in the eye we want you first and foremost to fall in love with jesus christ if you're going to be obedient be obedient out of that Fall more in love with Jesus. Don't be obedient because you're good at making yourself do things that you don't want to do. We can do better than that. Jesus deserves better than that. And at the end of the day, he doesn't want obedient but unloving children. He really wants us to love him. He loves that we want to be obedient, but we're never going to impress him with our obedience, okay? That's not the purpose of Christianity. But when we talk about loving him first and then living for him, specifically what we're going to say is that we're living for him as a disciple. And here's the question, and maybe you've never thought about it before, but this question has been haunting me for about 20 years 21 that I've been a pastor. Here's the question What's a disciple? What does that look like? Like, I know what it is. I can give you the Greek definition. I know what the word is. It's a follower. It is, okay? It's more than a believer. I want you to hear that. A disciple is more than a believer. It starts with belief, but it's not just belief. It's belief that produces something. In... in the context of the New Testament and the world that they lived in, it actually wasn't an uncommon term. They would have understood it to be a learner, a follower of a teacher. It was an obeyer. If I'm a disciple of someone, then I listen closely to what they say, and I rearrange my life based on what I hear them saying. Suddenly... The light goes on for some of us because there are disciples all over the place, aren't there? We just don't use that term. What does it mean to be a disciple? It's dripping with meaning. And when Jesus tells us in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, which is a pivotal verse, it's a pivotal verse for every church, right? Check it out. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We call it the Great Commission. Rightly so. Hey, Have you ever thought, what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, we think it looks like someone who loves Jesus and who's living for him. But that's still pretty vague. It's still pretty broad. Christianity was designed to be a relationship where we love Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus, we put our faith in the fact that we're sinners, and He came and lived and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we're saved by by faith alone, by grace alone, right? Through God alone. And yet, our faith is going to produce something. It's not just an esoteric faith. It should actually change the way that we think. It should change the way that we live. It should change the things that we love. If we're going to follow Jesus' teachings, how do we know if we're getting it right? How do we even know what the target is? Like, What are we aiming for? The idea is that Jesus is calling us to do something. He's calling us to take some steps. And I would say this. We purposefully, from the beginning have talked about, some of you have heard this, some of you have never heard it, in which case pay attention, right? (laughs) At Cap City Church, we talk about rows and circles and tables. We talk about that a lot. Rows and circles and tables. You're sitting in rows. We believe in the power of corporate worship. We want you to be here. Don't ever think to yourself, well, I'm going to be involved in a community group and when I do that, I'm going to quit going to church. If you do think that way, don't say it out loud to me. (laughs) Because I'm going to say, like, no. You're not going to get everything you need in any single environment. And I think one of the problems in our churches is that we put too much pressure on our environments. Right? Like, you're not going to fellowship right here. Look around right now. Look at the way you're oriented. It's not really designed for fellowship. It's not designed to get to know each other. That's not what corporate worship is. You're going to sit in rows. Then we're going to sit in circles. Our community group tonight is going to have a Super Bowl party. And I think a lot of community groups are, okay? We're going to sit in circles together because we need community. We need friendship and fellowship. We need companions on the spiritual journey that we're on, which is what community group is about. It's strategic friendship. I want to find some people who are moving in the same direction that I hope to move in, and maybe we can go there together and we can kind of draft off each other. Do we have any NASCAR fans in the room? We can draft off of each other. We, don't, we, we can work together. And then we have tables, rows, circles, and tables. Tables are, are a mentoring environment where you sit one-on-one with a spiritual mentor, and we really want, ultimately, we want everyone to have a mentor and to be a mentor. Because you can do both of those things. I promise you can. You have something to offer, but you still have something to learn. Listen, look at me. That's not what we're after. Those are not outcomes. If you look at the title of your sermon on your sermon notes, it says the outcome of our faith. Like, those are not the outcomes that we're after. Those are just environments that you can sit in. I want you to think with me. In other words, if you jumped through all the hoops, like if you took every step that we ask you to take, if you said yes to everything that we ask you to do, and you attended corporate worship faithfully, and you joined a community group, and I, by the way, I hope you do all these things, some of you have done it, and you love it, right? You joined a community group, and you're attending that faithfully, and you signed up to have a spiritual mentor or to be a spiritual mentor, and you're attending Cap City Academy... And you're reading your Bible, and you're praying. The goal of Capital City Church is not just to produce people who go to church and read their Bible and pray when they're supposed to, and they say yes to the things that they're supposed to, and they don't smoke, and they don't chew, and they don't go with girls that do. <laughs> Come on. Did you guys, we said that in the South. Did you ever say that? Yeah. Yeah. This is not behavior-oriented. What's the outcome that we're after? Because I think sometimes we get in the mode of, well, if I've read my Bible every day, then I'm a good Christian. And if I missed a day, then I'm a bad Christian. I get it. I was raised. Like I was taught, when they first taught me to have devotions, they actually taught me to have a notebook, and every day I write down what I read. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it. And then you learn if there's a day where you skip, you have to go back and write that day and just put a line. And I felt so guilty. Did you know that's actually not the goal of all of this? Listen, think with me. Please, just do me a favor. For the next few minutes, just think. Think with me. Because I've been thinking about this for a long time, so I have an advantage over you. Some of you, this is new, like you've never thought about it before. It's actually not the goal. But what is the goal? If that's not the goal, we also don't want to throw all those things out because they're not bad things, by the way. We want you to do all those things. So this is what we came up with. Pastor Aaron and I, this past year, uh, uh, in, in concert with the elders, we all worked on this together. We've been asking these questions and praying through these questions. Pastor Aaron and I, this past year, in 2023, we went through a discipleship cohort and one of the... Uh, exercises we unpacked this and we came up with these four answers and the more that we've prayed about it and thought about it and if you're on our lead team you've heard this we've already talked about this right we this is deliberate we've thought through this these are the four things are you ready we wanted to be devoted learners you're by the way you can write this down but we're about to unpack these and you're gonna see this everywhere did, did, did anybody notice a pattern here? You like our new stained glass? Indoor, right? Yeah, go ahead. Indoor stained glass, it, there's a pattern, right? We're going to be devoted learners. We're going to be faithful neighbors. We're going to be sincere worshipers. We're going to be eager multipliers. Like this is what God is calling us Two, a devoted learner means I live with wisdom based on a worldview that's informed, listen, by a deepening understanding of Scripture. This is not in your notes yet, okay? We're gonna get to it in just a second. I just want you to listen for a second. I live with a worldview that's informed by a deepening understanding of Scripture. The longer that I do this, I want you to hear me. The longer that I do this, and the more that I observe, the more I realize that everyone has a worldview. You have a worldview. And it's informed by a lot of things. Somehow that can be measured by how much time you spend with certain things. The sources that are, that are molding, that are pushing your worldview into a mold. Sources like social media, music entertainment choices. And I'm telling you now, your worldview will make you or break you. And I'm telling you now, we want everyone to feel welcome here. But we will live, as long as I have anything to say about it, and the elders have anything to say about it. We're going to do our best to have worldviews that are more and more informed by an increasing and deepening understanding of God's Word. Like, if we don't do that, we should close the doors. If we're going to have our worldview informed by anything, why not have it informed by the wisest one? Doesn't it make sense to have a worldview that's informed by the one who made the world? I don't know. Maybe not. We're going to be devoted learners. We're going to be faithful neighbors. If I'm a faithful neighbor, that means I deal with those around me in an upright and just manner. We're going to be sincere worshipers. We're going to have a reverence for God. My reverence for God leads me to love Him deeply and obey Him gladly. And then eager multipliers. If I'm an eager multiplier, I take action to see God's work in me multiplied in the lives of others. So we circle back to Titus 2, which is just dripping with meaning for you, but it's dripping with even more meaning for me because, and I, it, this is totally, I'm going to use the word coincidence, but I don't in qu- believe in coincidences because I believe in the sovereignty of God, right? Yep. Amen. Amen. Tim. But I I really had no idea this was going to happen this way, but this is in in September of 1994, Titus 2, verses 11 and 12 were the very first, it's the first passage I ever preached in my first sermon, and it was horrible. (laughs) God's Word is amazing. The sermon was bad, like it was really bad, and yet there's this full circle thing that we didn't go looking for, but as we unpack, what does this look like these, these four ideas, you find three of these four right here, like we're not forcing it. They're here. They're here. So Paul wrote this letter to Titus, who's one of his kind of sons in the faith. Titus was a longtime ministry partner of Paul, and he was actually the supervisor of all of the churches in Crete, on the island of Crete. And so Paul, just before his final arrest, so this is toward the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry, he writes this letter from Macedonia to Titus, who is in Crete. He says this, verse 11, For the grace of God has, what's the word? Hey, check it out. And I remember this from 1994. Are you ready for this? It's appeared like a sunrise. That's the imagery that Paul's using. The the grace, the sun came up, right? The grace of God appeared. And for those of us who are Christ followers, we would probably tell some kind of story like that, wouldn't we? Like when I met Jesus Christ, when I fully understood the gospel, and when I I put my faith in Jesus, I submitted my life to become a disciple, to become a follower. Like when I took that step, I took that step because something showed up that I had never seen before. This light, like this sunrise came up, and all of a sudden I saw the world differently. The grace of God has appeared. Listen. Listen. It's an advent. And everything that comes after this, everything else we're going to say flows from this first kind of sub-phrase. The grace of God has has appeared and it causes us to stop doing some things and it causes us to start doing some things. But there is an advent in your life that all flows from grace. And if you want to know what it means, to love Jesus and then live for Him out of that love. You always go back to His grace. Always go back to the beginning. We fall more in love with Jesus as we remember how much He's done for us. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is so good. This is in your notes. The gospel is a catalyst bringing truth that changes us. The Gospel is not just for evangelism. The Gospel is not just for salvation. The idea that you are a sinner saved by grace is actually what's going to fuel your discipleship. It's going to fuel your obedience. It's going to fuel you to take steps. Listen, you want to know why some of us are so tired? It's because our discipleship is not being fueled by the Gospel. It's being fueled by ourselves. Not because we're bad people, but because we just fall into into that pattern of behavior. It's up to me to get this right. Can I just get, oh, man. You're not a believer. You're not a disciple. You're not a Christian because you get it right. You're a disciple because Jesus already got it right. He got it right on your behalf. He set you free from ever having to get it right again. And now you're set free to get it right. How much fun is that? No pressure. Just loving Jesus. All this happens because the gospel shows up. Verse 12. Training us. This Advent happens. The grace shows up. And some things end. Training us to renounce ungodliness, which means literally we don't respect God. We have no respect for God. We have no use for God. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, which is, listen, a desire for the unimportant and the wrong. That's what that is. The grace of God when it appears, when the sun rises for you, there are some things that are going to happen. One of the things that are, that's going to happen is you're going you're to have a natural, or I should say a supernatural, pull towards some things going away. And maybe people made you feel guilty for this, but you need to know at the heart of what I'm about to say is not guilt. Even though for some of us guilt got layered on top of it in religion. But the heart of this is a good thing that we want to see. We want to turn our backs on ungodliness. And we want to turn our backs on worldly passions, the desire for the unimportant. In other words, there are some things that are going to go away. And we keep reading because, listen, that it's not just some things that are going to go away. They're going to be replaced by some things. Here we go. We've been trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. excuse me, and to live, if you're reading in your notes, if you brought a pen, go ahead and circle these, these are pretty big, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We're going to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and we're going to start living a different way. We're going to start pulling towards a different direction. Some things are going to end, and the things that this advent of the grace of God coming causes these things to end, but they're going to be replaced by different things. The discipling response to God's grace is that we will live differently in our age. In our present and unspoken but contained in the idea, even for Paul, was in this present difficult age. That's even more true for us, isn't it? Even more true than it was for Titus. In our present difficult age, God's still going to do this work. So what are the three ideas very quickly? We're talking about the four callings of a disciple. We're going to unpack the first three because they're right here. And next week we're going to talk about being eager multipliers. Okay, so very quickly, here we go. We're going to be self-controlled. This is at the bottom of the front page of your notes. We're going to be self-controlled, which literally means we're going to live with wisdom toward ourselves. We're going to grow... As we grow as disciples, we're actually growing in living a wise life. What does it look like to live with wisdom as a follower of Jesus Christ? In other words, listen, to put it quite literally, disciples are sensible and they pay attention to what matters the most, listen, not based on what you think matters most or what they think matters most, but in light of eternity, in light of all that we find in Scripture What matters most in this situation? As disciples, we're learning to discern that better, and we're learning to make choices based on that. We're self-controlled. In other words, we're devoted learners. We want to keep learning because here's the thing. Y'all listen. Chances are, I feel pretty good about saying this out loud. If you disagree with me, come talk to me afterwards because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can prove me wrong. I doubt it, though. (laughs) Chances are, you don't naturally have a lot of wisdom. How you feel, Tom? Feel pretty (laughs) good about that? I, I got a big head nod from him. That's a good sign. In other words, if you have wisdom, you got it from somewhere now maybe you had fantastic parents who instilled it in you and it's deep down inside of you and you've never thought anything different. But naturally speaking, most people make really foolish decisions. So if we're going oh If we're going to learn to live in wisdom, we're going to have to find that wisdom somewhere other than here. Don't follow your heart. You guys remember Rich Mullins? He sang a song about don't follow your heart and don't follow your nose. You follow the father of hearts and the maker of noses. How fantastic is that? Don't follow your heart because it's going to lead you astray. That's horrible advice. Hey, do you want to be married to someone who for the next 50 years is going to do whatever their heart tells them to do? No. No. <laughs> You know why? Listen, because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Everybody's heart, yours and mine, we get it right sometimes, but man, we're going to have to be devoted learners if we're going to live with wisdom. I live with wisdom based on a worldview that's informed by a deepening understanding of Scripture. This is in your notes. And by the way, you're going to see this more and more, over and over. You look at graphics... And banners, and there's a banner out front, and you think, man, they they put a lot of work into this. Yeah, you have no idea. It's not going away. This is just what we're going to talk about. We're going to be devoted learners. Now, you think there's an environment where we could learn to be devoted learners? That sounds an awful lot like Capital City Academy to me. Devoted learners, how do I learn more? How do I learn to live with wisdom based on a worldview informed by a deepening understanding of Scripture? Can you exegete Scripture as well as you can exegete Facebook posts? Here are some questions that we can ask What have I learned from God's Word recently that encouraged me? This is in your notes, by the way. What have I learned from God's Word recently? that encouraged me? Maybe the key words recently. I don't want you living on old bread. What have you heard recently that encouraged you? What have you heard recently from God's word that comforted you? It's a loaded question, isn't it? Listen, look, what if we just started having coffee with each other and asking that one question? Hey, we're just going to, we're going to meet for coffee. Marshall, we're going to meet for coffee for an hour. And we're going to ask that one question. You go first and you talk for a half hour and then I'm going to talk for a half hour. What kind of church would we be if we started asking that question? What have you learned from Scripture recently that encouraged you or that comforted you? What have I learned from Scripture, from God's Word recently that changed the way I see the world? I'll tell you what will happen. Over time... Please hear this. I do not mean this to sound judgmental, and I apologize in advance if it does. That's not what I'm trying to do. Over time, if we could ask that question well, we would care less what others think about us and more what God thinks about us. Listen, I want you to hear me. That's not a statement about judgment. It's a statement about freedom. What if you'd been set free from caring what other people think about you because your worldview had shifted to such a way that you really only lived to please God? What might it look like? It's not going to happen if you don't become a devoted learner. You don't get to invent what God said. He told us. Which is why when I showed up to Bible college and they said, what do you want your major to be? I said, Bible I just want to learn what the Bible says because I don't know what it says very well I want to learn it that's the key that's the heartbeat of the whole thing we keep going we're going to be self-controlled we're going to be upright we're going to live with faithfulness toward our neighbor that's what being upright means Disciples live righteously by dealing with others in an upright and a just manner. We've actually talked about this quite a bit over the last year. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, and we're going to be unpacking this in the future, by the way. We're going to be faithful neighbors, because listen, we talk, you've heard me say this, some of you have heard me say this for three and a half years, I'm going to keep saying it. Somewhere along the way, culturally, we started throwing around words like social justice and some churches have shied away from the using the word justice, right? I'm not going to, and I'll tell you why. Because justice is ab- actually a biblical idea. And we won't abdicate that for the sake of misunderstandings or misinformation or whatever, right? We're, gonna ha- we're not going to have a worldview that's informed by social media or by whatever the latest conversation is. Justice, theologically is the equivalent of righteousness. It's the same word. It's the same thing, dikaiosune in the Greek. It's the same word. It's the same concept. And righteousness and justice belong to God. They're not ours to take away. They're not ours to abdicate. If Here's what I'm saying. God defines justice and righteousness, and He is the source of it. So as we move closer to him, of course we're going to become more just. Of course we're going to be more faithful. We're going to be faithful neighbors. We're living in an upright way is what, Titus, is what Paul said to Titus. I deal with those around me in an upright and a just manner. Here are some questions. When have I responded to a need around me? Wouldn't it be fun maybe to just have a community group where let's just go around the table. Everybody say, like, when, when did you see a need outside of you, maybe even outside of your family? Like, when have you been a faithful neighbor? People you live next to or the people you work with or whoever's in your circle. Like, when did you, when did you respond to a need around you? Listen to this. What do I have? We're talking about physical things here. What do I have that I could use to bless someone else with? What a great question. What a great question to ask in a gimme, gimme, gimme American materialistic society. What kind of church might we be if instead of saying gimme, 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 we were saying let's give, 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 give? We want to be faithful neighbors. Here, by the way, listen, justice means doing and speaking good to others which can bring both thankfulness and tension. Because sometimes when you do good to others, helping meet needs, I love this. Look, what's the bread about, right? We're helping people who are hungry. What a great idea. We're helping people who are hungry. We're helping meet needs. That's faithfulness, and people are thankful for that. But sometimes being faithful neighbors means speaking things that others might not want to hear, and we don't say it in an unloving manner. But i think you're figuring out anymore that doesn't always matter what manner you say it in it is going to be called hate speech anyway so we we're going to live self-controlled we're going to live upright and we're going to live godly we're going to live with reverence toward god we're going to be sincere worshipers we live godly lives by revering god by honoring god and by obeying his commands by the way That's the best form of obedience. I obey you because I respect you, because I honor you, because I know you're important, because I know you matter. That's what we're saying to God. We're going to be godly. Literally, it means that you and I pay attention to what God's asking us to do. We value the fact that God's asking us to do something, and we respond accordingly. We're going to be sincere worshipers. Our reverence for God is going to lead us to love Him deeply and obey Him gladly. Some great questions. What has God shown me lately that left me in awe and wonder of His love? It's A little self-diagnosis, maybe some one-on-one conversations, some group conversations. What has God shown me lately that left me in awe and wonder of how much He loves me? How has worship been sparked in my soul? What difficult or scary thing has the Holy Spirit asked from me lately, and how did I respond? Ooh, that got personal, didn't it? See, worship's not just about how you feel. It's about how you respond. And by the way, I grew up with a healthy respect for my father. I still want to be like him when I grow up one day. But do you know what I never did When he asked me to do something, I didn't say, ah, I'm going to do what I want to do. He would have very gently said, excuse me? No. We're going to honor him. We're going to respect him. I live in his house. And I didn't totally understand it at the time, but I grew to understand it more and more that he has incredible wisdom and incredible love for me. See, boy, listen. You know what the opposite of honoring someone is? It's not that you hate them. It's that you take them for granted. That just landed right in the middle of some of y'all's marriages, didn't it? Ah, they'll always be around. No big deal. He's going to love me no no matter what I do, so I'm just going to do what I want to do if you tell me that that is your heart posture before God, you know what's the prescription that I'm going to prescribe for you? You need to become a sincere worshiper. Because you look... Go back through Scripture. Look at people who saw God. Think in the Old Testament. People who saw God. You remember in Isaiah when he saw God in Isaiah 6? What did he say? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm unclean and I'm living among unclean people. And here's this holy, righteous God. And who am I that He would choose to love me? But He did. But He did. He's not my buddy. This is so much bigger than that. We're going to be sincere worshipers. And we're just going to unhitch here. This is so big and so important. I actually don't feel any pressure to get it right today because we're just going to keep talking about this over and over and over. But man, as your shepherds, we as elders, this is what we want to see for you. Our prayer for you is not just that you would read your Bible and that you would pray and that you would go to academy and all this. Other. Like, those things are great. We want you to do those things. But understand, the goal of attending an academy class is not that you've got a check mark by your name. The goal is to a little bit at a time make you a devoted learner. And the more you learn, the more you want to learn. Actually, God's word really is that way. And the goal for us when we worship, and I think you can feel it. And Eric and Sarah do an amazing job just kind of setting the tone here in these worship services, right? What's the goal? We want to be reverent worshipers. Like, we want to be sincere worshipers. We want to sing it and we want to mean it. Keep coming back to this verse. We're going to pray these two verses very quickly, and then we're going to be done. Psalm 92. I love this. This is in your notes, and it's up here. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. When I hear this, the righteous are people who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen. Listen. And who are also growing in righteousness as disciples, because that's our calling. What does that look like? We flourish like a palm tree. We do not have palm trees in Kansas. Did you know that? But I grew up in Central Florida. Palm trees are pretty normal down there, and they go straight up, and then they go wide. That's the imagery. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow wide. And they grow like a cedar in Lebanon, which is depth. As you grow in righteousness, our prayer for you is that you're going to grow in width. And you're going to grow in depth. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Please hear me. Your flourishing spiritually is directly related to your location. You want to flourish spend more time in the house of the Lord I don't just mean this gymnasium spend more time with God so for just a second I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna give you just a minute and I want you to pray I would like you to pray that prayer God help me to flourish wide like a palm tree help me to grow deep like a cedar and help me to remain in your presence whether it's Sunday morning or reading my Bible every day or going to to academy, or whatever it is. God, help me to grow in spiritual depth, because that's the point. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Man, we just don't want to rush past the cross, ever. We don't deserve the good things that you've given to, to us, and we're so thankful, even more. We're thankful for your blessings. God, out of your love for us and our growing and increasing understanding of your love for us, help us to grow wide. Spiritually, help us to flourish like palm trees. Help us to grow deep and strong like cedars in Lebanon. Help us to be planted in your presence, in your house. Help us to remember that we only flourish in your courts. Thank you, God, for your goodness in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.